As we are continuing a series that Pastor Brandon kicked off last week uh, of the nine, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit. We know that there's more gifts, but these are the gifts that we're going to discuss. It's the charismata gifts, the charismatic gift. Uh, we're going to be talking about the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the gift of faith. So these very topics that we'll be discussing is very powerful if it's activated in your life. It's very needed in the body of Christ. You know, the more that, that things are, are, are taught on, the more that you hear about things, the more that it whets your appetite for the things of God. You know, when you look at situations, the Bible says that, that hearing comes by the word of God. And that's where faith comes in. When you hear the word, you apply faith to it. You walk in it. You operate in it. So as we discuss this tonight, but I also want to look at a couple of things that can be confusing. Come on, I like to deal with issues that are confusing. Because I, I was always a confused Christian. <laughs> Probably still am. <laughs> Talk to some people. <laughs> But, to, but let's look at in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brooder, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God, holding on to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with the nine gifts of the Spirit? <laughs> when you look at the very end of the verse, in verse 5, it says, holding on to a form of godliness, although they denied its power. That's what I want to look at really quickly here. The first thing I want to bring out here, you know, when you study the Bible, when you go to the Greek, it brings out things that you don't see in the regular English translation. So, so people don't just give you Greek words just to give you Greek words. Come on, Greek words don't save anyone. The power behind the meaning, who's Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, that's the one that does the saving. But when you begin to unpack verses and you begin to see, oh, that's what he meant. You know, we, we lose so much in translation. Come on, God's word is all perfect, all powerful. The Bible says that we should live out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So that word form is morphoso, and it means to have a form, it looks, come on, it's, it's to look like something. It's a mirror image of something, but not the real thing. It's, a, it's to develop a form of religion. And when you look at that word deny, it means to contradict, to argue against, or to discredit. And then the word power is the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's the same word that's used in Acts. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, people don't deny the Holy Spirit. They deny the power of the Holy Spirit. That's something totally different. That's the dangerous part. Come on, we want the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what our services need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need religious lectures. We don't need history lessons. We need God's anointing on his word and him to perform his word in our lives. So this is literally saying in the last days where we are now, there are people that deny the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you tonight. The Bible said that that would happen. The Bible said that there would be people that deny the power of the Holy Spirit, but you don't have to deny it. Come on, I want to talk to you tonight about what you can believe in. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, it says, But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I spoke as a child, when I, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also known. I read that verse of scripture because that is the key verse that people go to and say the gifts of the spirit have ceased. If you can, this is the scripture that derailed me. This is the scripture that put up a big fence of doubt. This is the scripture that derails whole denominations. Whole evangelical denominations, they get derailed because of this one verse. There's something called cessationists. That means that they don't believe the gifts of the Spirit are in operation today. They believe that it died off with the last of the apostles. And then there are some that believe that when the canon of Scripture was closed, when the 27 books of the New Testament was was was. Got to, when they got together for the, in the council of the church in about 320 to 382, they don't know exactly when. They say at that time, that was the perfect. That perfect is the completion of the Bible. That's the belief. So therefore, they say when, when this book was completed, when it was all put together, there's no need for tongues. There's no need for prophecy. There's no need for knowledge. That's what they say this verse means. Okay, continuous are people that still believe in the gifts of the spirit. They still believe that the gifts of the spirit are in operation today. If you believe that you would be considered a continuist. Now, I said all of that to say when you hear these terminologies come up on the Internet or when it won't confuse you anymore. (laughs) If maybe you never came across that word, you probably will now. Now, if you look at this. This is where we're going to go at in the verse. You ready to go? All right. Number one, it says that the same tongues, it says the tongues will cease, knowledge and prophecy will cease. Let me ask you a question. Has knowledge ceased? We looked in the whole past series in Daniel. Remember, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says knowledge will increase. So we know that knowledge has not ceased. And let me ask you this, has prophecies ceased? No, there's still one third of the of the entire 
Bible, Old Testament, that has not yet happened. Come on, if you were paying attention during the last series, you saw a bunch of prophecies happening nowadays. So in context, to believe that he is talking about the closing of the scriptures, you would have to say that I believe, according to that verse, that knowledge has ceased, prophecies have ceased, and also tongues have ceased. So for that to be the perfect, that's what you would have to believe. Now, now look at what Paul said. Paul dies in about 67 AD by being beheaded in Rome. So that means about 300-something years later, the council of the church gets together, they meet, they compile the New Testament, and that word perfect, according to that verse, according to those people that believe that, would mean that it came to completion. But here's where that verse falls apart. If you look in verse 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now listen what he says. Now I know in part, okay, he's saying I, but then shall I know even as I am known. And you, you may be thinking, okay, what does that have to do with the gifts of the Spirit? Listen, for Paul to say, for now I know in part, that means when he wrote that, he said, right now I know in part. That's the now. In, in 67, when Paul dies, that's the then. Okay? So the question is, do you think Paul thought that he would live another 300 years to see when the perfect comes? Do you think he was prophesying to himself? Or is he just not talking about the completion of Scripture? That's how you have to look at it. Either Paul said, when all the scriptures are complete, I will know as I am known. Or is he saying, when the perfect comes, who's, who's the perfect? Jesus. Jesus is the perfect. That tells you right there that you cannot believe the gifts of the spirit have ceased based on that verse. But it's not only that verse. Come on, you have to go line upon line, precept upon precept. What Paul was saying, when Christ returns at the second coming, when he comes back, and, and it's perfect. We, we talked about this, the perfect age. There will be no more knowledge because we will have all knowledge. There won't need to be talking in tongues because we'll understand everyone. And knowledge will at that point, that's why the Bible says, but love will continue. Come on, when you go to heaven, when you're around Jesus, it's a place of love. That's why it says, but love will never cease. Love will never stop. So when you look at that, here's another verse in 1 John 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be just as he is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So you see, you have Paul saying something. You have John saying the very same thing in two different verses of Scripture. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7 through 9, it says, listen to this. This too tells you that Paul was expecting the gifts of the Spirit to still be in operation. 
First Corinthians chapter one, verses seven through nine. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. That word gift is charismata, charismatic. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This tells you that Paul is saying the gifts of the spirit will still be in operation when Jesus comes back. So do you see how there is no biblical way, according to scripture, that the the gifts of the spirit have ceased? Okay, I just want to make sure because that's that was pretty plain and pretty obvious. Now, in Acts 238. It says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself for you and for your children and from all that are far off. We're the far off. We're we're the far off. Now, when you look at this, everybody, have you heard of Billy Graham? Okay, Billy Graham is known as like the evangelical pope. I guess you could say like when Billy Graham says something, man, people hold on to it and that's it. And I thought that was very interesting because when you he wrote a book on the Holy Spirit and it was revised in 2000, which means it was expanded. And he said something that was very interesting. It says, although there is honest disagreement among Christians today about the validity of tongues, I personally cannot find any biblical justification for saying the gift of tongues was only for the New Testament. Indeed, tongues is a gift of the spirit. Today, there are Presbyterians, Baptists, Angelicans, Anglicans, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Let's go to the island of the Philippians. (laughs) The Lutherans, the Methodists, as well as the Pentecostals who speak or have spoken with tongues. So this tells you there's no concrete evidence of someone that can say that the gifts of the spirit are not in operation. We know that they are from what the Bible says. I hope everyone is sold on that. Okay, I mean, we're in a non-denominational, charismatic, slash Pentecostal, full gospel. (laughs) I mean, really, preaching to the choir, I guess. (laughs) No, but, you know, coming from that, I always want to try to, if you're on the fence, push you over the fence. And if you're way on this side of the fence, make you feel good that you're on that side of the fence. All right. Let's get to the key text of the entire series. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, yet the same Lord. And there are very varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all person. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. Another to the word of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, another prophecy, another distinguishing of spirits, 
to another various kinds of tongues, and another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Now next week, Pastor Brandon will be talking about miracles, prophecies, and healing. Okay? So you don't want to miss that. Those are some powerful gifts that we need in operation. Now, let's look at the word of wisdom. This is different than what the Bible talks about in James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. This wisdom is the daily wisdom that you need that is available. Okay, so that's not the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is that in Corinthians, it's a supernatural revelation regarding the plan and purpose of God. It's the mind of God that pertains to the futuristic events. In other words, it's the gift of a divine answer for the solution for your circumstance. Now notice, it's a word of wisdom. That means it's small, it's, it's partial. You know, you, you may need, I need direction on where to go. You, you may come in contact with someone who has that gift operating and that word of wisdom will come forth and tell you the word of wisdom will keep you from regret. The word of wisdom will keep you from making the wrong decision. Now, Jesus demonstrated this particular gift when he talked in, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27. And this was when he, he told Peter to go and get uh, the, the money out of the fish's mouth. He said, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the fish that comes up. And when you open his mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This word of wisdom, Jesus gave him a word of wisdom of what to do. Peter followed it. And there you, there you have it. He also, when he told him, launch out into the deep. Remember when he told the disciples and they said, we taught all night. He gave him a word of wisdom. He knew where the fish were. And so that word of wisdom that was given not only enabled them to catch fish, but if you notice, if you keep going in Luke chapter 5, 11, that word of wisdom pushed them to drop their nets and follow him. See, that word of wisdom was powerful and it drew them into their purpose. That's, the, that's what the, 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 the promise of the word of wisdom. Now, if you look at an Old Testament example in 1 Kings Three, in three verse 16 through 28. It says, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only two of us were in the house, and this woman's son died in the night. Because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. And this is what they said before the king. This is talking about Solomon. Then the king said, 
The one says that this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was bought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. All of Israel heard of the judgment and the king that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived the wisdom of God to do justice. See, this is the power of the word of wisdom in action in the Old Testament. Now, I wanted to say that because you see these gifts in operation in the Old Testament. You also see them in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit can only move upon someone. Then he would have to leave because sin had not yet been atoned for. But in the world today, there are counterfeits. The devil counterfeits these things. We see witches. You see people who read tarot cards, fortune tellers. I mean, I know no one here does that, but we know of people that do that. Horoscopes, all these different things. These are trying to get wisdom from the demonic realm. And in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, it says, There shall not be found among any of you who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, who uses divination or practices witchcraft, interprets omens or a sorcerer. One who casts a spell, a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You might say, oh, I don't participate in that. There's a movie called The Ouija Board or whatever. The Ouija, you've probably seen that on TV. It's like the number one movie in America. You go watch a movie like that, you're detestable to the Lord. That's that's what it's saying. You don't have to perform and do these things. You go sit as an audience and sit in front of that. You are partaking in witchcraft. If you have that in your house, get rid of it. And I say that in love because many people struggle with things in their house. They can't get free this and that because they have something sitting on the shelf. You can get somebody to go there, anoint it with all. Say, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And you know what those demonic forces are saying? I'm not going anywhere. This movie is mine. This is my stuff. Come on, I'm not, I'm not trying to patty cake. <laughs> That's just how it is. And, you know, they got people that get mad when you talk about, you know, all these things and death. And I like to sit in front of death and watch death and exorcisms. <laughs> Don't open your, your, your spirit to those things. Come on. It's getting around that time of year. <laughs> I'm going to keep moving on that one. <laughs> no, but seriously, think about it. If you look at, we, we talked about the Feast of Trumpets. That just came, okay? The, the Rosh Hashanah, the picture of the rapture. When the dead are raised. In the same time period, we're celebrating the death. Come on, that's counterfeit. We're talking about the resurrection of life, and they have people that are celebrating death. All right. 
<laughs> Let's get to the word of knowledge. <laughs> My ears is getting hot. <laughs> the word of knowledge releases information supernaturally. The word of knowledge in the mind, is in the mind of God dealing with people, places, and things that deal with the past or the present. It's a word of knowledge. Now, example nowadays, if you ever been at a, you know, at an altar call or whatever, and, and you know, the, the minister or the, the person who's praying will say, I, I'm sensing that this has happened in your life. And you're like, oh, man, that's a word of knowledge. God has given that person the ability to see something that happened so you can identify, so you can move forward. See, it's different than a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom goes in, in, in how to deal with it as far as like this thing is going on in my life and I need, I need wisdom from God on the next step. A lot of times it will happen as a confirmation. You know, if you come up and say, hey, the Lord... Uh, I need a word of wisdom on direction. And someone will tell you, brother, you need to go to Africa and be a missionary. And you need to go where they got Ebola. You need to go in that area. God wants me to tell you that you need to go there. Well, don't pack your bags just yet. Because that word of wisdom should confirm what God has already laid on your heart. Come on, they got people that, that give you a word of wisdom and you sell everything you have and you go. And they're like, oh, my bad, I missed God on that one. And yet you have no place to live now because you sold your house. Come on, I'm not trying to be pragmatic or, you know, real, I'm trying to be realistic. The gift and operation is, is all powerful and it won't lead you astray. That gift will not lead you astray. So getting back to the, the word of knowledge. We saw this in John 14, 16 through 19. Jesus said to the woman at the well, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Jesus had given her a word of knowledge. He read her mail. Come on, that was the thing that she was astonished at. So it's not used to condemn. It's used to say, wow. The power of God is real, for he revealed that. Now, the word of knowledge deals with the past or present, and the word of knowledge can be given also to identify an illness, a concern, or a need. That's what the word of knowledge. It's also given to edify, to encourage, and to help. You ever been, like, in a prayer meeting, and, and a word of knowledge will go forth and say, this is going on, and, and you say, oh, man, that's, that's, that's me. I'm dealing with that. Or you may need a word of knowledge in a prayer meeting and, and for a direction on how to pray or where to go in prayer. You've seen Pastor Todd do that during an altar call. You know, I feel like we need to pray for this. That's, he's given a word of knowledge. He's given a word of knowledge on a direction that, that, that it needs to go. In the Old Testament, you see the situation with David. Come on, Nathan got a word of knowledge about David's sin with Bathsheba. When he said, you are the man. I know that doesn't sound edifying, but what did it do? It pushed him to repentance. It pushed him to deal what was what he was going on with. If you look in, in Acts and with Ananias and Sapphira, that whole situation, I'm not going to read it because it's quite long. But when, when Peter had given them a word of knowledge and what happened, he was struck dead. The wife came in 
And she's looking around and then she struck dead because they were trying to keep back some of the money. You might say, how is that edifying? It edified the church. Come on, if you get up here and somebody drops dead for lying, I guarantee you, you'll be repenting. Oh, I did, maybe I stole some pins at work. <laughs> maybe I, I'm trying to think what I did. <laughs> Come on, you know, everybody wants the spirit of God to show up. And, you know, oh, the fire of God. Man, when the fire of God shows up, it'll burn some stuff. Come on, we don't, I mean, we want God's presence so bad. Man, when God's presence showed up, people dropped dead. Thank God for the dove. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the gift of faith. The gift of faith is often misunderstood. You know, the Bible places a lot of emphasis on faith. Now, we know that we have to have faith to be saved. We have to have faith to be healed. We have to have faith to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the gift of faith is something that is totally different. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, With, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we know that there is faith, but then there's the gift of faith. Romans 12, 3, it says, for by grace, by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. That God has assigned. So God has given you faith. God gave you the faith to believe him. God gives you the faith to believe for something in your life. It's God giving that to you. Everyone has a measure of faith. But the Bible talks about the gift of faith. The gift of faith is often in operation during crisis situations. When that confining pressure comes upon you. It's a jolt of great confidence. Come on, have you ever experienced that? Just of great confidence. And you have this desire to just start rebuking things in the name of Jesus. You just have a desire to quote the word. You have a desire. It's not a normal feeling. It's faith that begins to rise up on the inside of you. It's when terrifying circumstances comes your way and you stand up ramrod straight with a steel backbone and you say, you know what? I'm not bowing to this situation. God has given me faith. I'm going to believe for a miracle for you. I'm going to believe that God will raise you up off of that deathbed. I'm going to believe that God will raise you up out of that sickness. Come on. That's, that's what you need. That's what the church needs. That's what we need. Come on, we don't need to suck our thumbs in the back and say, oh, hope it works out. Come on, stand up, believe, believe. And you never know that gift of faith might be activated on the inside of you or better than that. Go to the one where you see that faith activated in. Come on, the gifts of the spirit are not for you. It's for the person that needs the, the, the healing or, or faith or whatever. How many of you ever talked to someone who was full of faith? I'm not talking about the kooky stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, people that really have genuine faith. Not lay hands on, on the car and expect to have it. And I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that literally believe God have been through the thick and the thin and said, you know what? I didn't seen all kind of stuff. I seen God do this. I seen God heal people. I seen God move. I've seen too much. You know, there's people that don't believe in the gifts. They don't believe in healing. You're too late. 
I didn't see too much. <laughs> I didn't see too much. Come on. And we're living in a time where we will see that increase. And you may be operating in the very gifts that we're talking about during these series. I want to show you a, a, a picture of faith. How many of you heard of John G. Lake? Okay. This is a perfect picture of the gift of faith being in operation. I'm going to read you a, a quick story. In 1906, he began praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and he sought God for nine months. Lake was praying for an afflicted lady, and he said the power of God hid him, and he penned these words. He said, when the phenomenon had passed, the glory of it remained in my soul. For I found that my life began to manifest a variety of gifts. I spoke in tongues by the power of God, and God flowed through me. Healings were more powerful and in order. Tongues have been to me the making of my ministry. After the baptism, Lake was called to Africa. In the spring, Lake, he was a millionaire. He gave away all of his money. He was penniless, and he started out with nothing. Come on, that's faith right there. <laughs> People saying, I don't want that kind of faith. <laughs> but hold on to my money. <laughs> While ministering in Illinois, the Holy Spirit told him to go to Indianapolis and then, when you, and then from there, you will go to Africa in the spring. And he returned home and told his wife, and she said, I know, the Lord told me. Lake moved his family to Indianapolis and joined an old friend named Tom Hesmalak. And for six months, the Spirit baptized several hundred people through these men. In January of 1908, Lake began praying for finances to Africa. He needed $2,000. And then Tom said to, to John G. Lake, Jesus said it would be here in four days. Four days later, Tom returned from the post office with four $500 drafts to pay for tickets. In April in 1908, Lake and his wife and his seven children, Tom and three of his companions. Now, one of Tom's uh, children, uh, one of Tom's acquaintances, I'm sorry, lived in Africa for three years and he served as an interpreter. Now, God's one-time millionaire had only a $1.50 to his name for spending money when he was leaving. Now, immigration laws in Africa required each family to have $125 or they could not get on the ship. They could not exit the ship. Think of that. Lake's wife said, what are we going to do? And John G. Lake said, I'm going to line up with the rest. We've obeyed God this far. Now it's up to the Lord. Standing in line, ready to explain a dilemma, a fellow passenger tapped him on the shoulder, handed him two money orders totaling $200. Johannesburg, to go to Johannesburg, Africa. In May 1908, they arrived to find a woman running around the dock looking at everyone. She ran up to Tom and asked, are you an American missionary? And he said, yes. She said, how many is in your party? He said, four. She said, you're not the guy I'm looking for. So then Tom said, well, I know another person. His name is John. She went up to John. She said, I'm looking for an American missionary. How many is in your party? He said, seven. She said, you're the guy I need to speak to. Her, her name was Miss C.L. Goodenough. And she said, the Lord told me to give you a house. He and his family were in a fully, fully furnished house that afternoon. 
Lake's first ministry opportunity was to fill in for a pastor who had to take a leave, a leave of absence. 500 Zulu members were in attendance that first Sunday. And as a result, a revival broke out within weeks. Multitudes flocked and many hundreds were saved, healed, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's said of Lake that he was a man who trusted and believed God in the leading of the Holy Spirit. He said when, they, when people would just shake John G. Lake's hands, they would fall to the ground under the power of God. Doctors would ask, how did you not get sick being overseas? And John G. Lake would say, if you put germs in my hand, they will die. That's how much he believed God. Within five years, by the time this man left South Africa, the Spirit used him to produce uh, 1,250 preachers, 625 congregation, and 100,000 converts. Don't tell me that God cannot give you the faith to believe for whatever it is you're going through. Because I don't see anybody here at a, at, a, at a train station saying, I don't have any money. I don't know what God's going to do. God hadn't called you to do that. that. That's very impossible here. Come on, your wife would be slapping you all over your head. If you said, God woke me up and said, we got to go to South Africa and go help people with Ebola. And by the way, God also told me we're not going to catch Ebola while we're there. Come on, I don't have the faith to believe that. So the question is, do you believe God for the power and the gifts to flow in your life? Come on, are you dry? He can water your soul. Are you fearful? He's the comforter. Are you weary? He can raise you up out of weariness. Are you tormented? He can deliver you. Are you in deception tonight? God will lead you into truth. Now, in closing, some of you may have operated in gifts of the Spirit, and yet you haven't felt God's, God's anointing. You haven't felt God's touch on your life. You haven't felt, maybe you can say, I used to operate in the gifts. You know, I used to give tongues and interpretation, but that has become dormant in my life. I used to I used to lay hands on the sick and I I seen people recover. But maybe you said, I I don't know about all that anymore. Come on, maybe you've been praying for 20, 25 people. You see nothing. Keep pushing forward. Keep pushing through. Come on, that's what God wants us to do. Listen, I prayed for my dad and continually prayed for my dad. His feet were hurting so bad. I mean, his legs were hurting. The top of his foot was hurting. That uropathy from chemo had hurt his feet, had hurt his foot. He had to walk with a cane to get out of bed. I mean, it, it, he, he, one night I, I went visit him and he was like, oh, Kelly, anoint me with oil. And so I was like, okay. So I anointed him with oil. Now, granted, I was kind of, you know, like, man, I've been praying for cancer and we keep going and you know, I was getting weary. The next morning, he woke up. No cane. He said, Kelly, look at this. And he starts walking like this, stomping his feet. I'm not saying you, the gifts just show up when that person needs. Come on, the Bible says, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. You need to ask the person to come lay hands on you. Come on, do it exactly the way it says. That's what I do. When I pray, I'm like, God, your word says this. It says this in the Greek. <laughs> this is what it says, God. So I'm asking you, 
please perform your word. I'm just going to wait and see you do it. And Lord, if you choose not to, I love you anyway. Come on, that's faith. That's what we need to believe. Now, how does this happen? You can grieve the Holy Spirit like Pastor Brandon was talking about. There was a missionary couple that moved to, to Jerusalem to, 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 to start a missionary work. And they moved into this house and they kept seeing this dove and it would come to the house and it would sit up in the, in, in the, the, uh, the, uh, the attic where the house was. And they took it as a, as a sign from God. And they noticed every time they would argue or they would slam the door, the dove would fly off and leave. And this is what they said. Man, we want that dove here. It's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, I, I like having that dove here. And then the husband looked at the wife and said, well, then we need to adjust to the dove. Come on, we need to adjust to the Holy Spirit. That's a good lesson for us. You know, the, in Bible typology, the Bible always likens the Holy Spirit to the dove. Notice in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Catch that last part. He remained upon him. Let me ask you something tonight. How many of you have felt the Holy Spirit fall upon you? And how many of you have felt dry and you haven't felt the spirit moving? You know, the Bible says that the Lord will never forsake us, but it feels like the dove flies away. Think about that. The spirit is not leaving you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Jesus that you have on the inside of you is the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Brandon said, you have God the Father and Jesus is sitting at the right hand. Everything that has ever been done on this earth has been done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved through Jesus and he did what he did. You know why that happened? Because if Jesus did everything as God, we'd be able to point the finger and say, you don't understand. You're God. Jesus emptied himself. And did everything filled without measure, like he said last week, anointed with the Holy Spirit. He did everything as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you this. Do you, when you argue with your spouse, or you, you, you get frustrated, do you feel love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? <laughs> The Holy Spirit is still living on the inside of you, but those attributes you don't see. You don't see them operating. Come on, if they were in your life, you wouldn't be arguing with your wife. Or the wife wouldn't be arguing with the husband. <laughs> Moving on. That's why the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Man, it broke my heart. When I looked up that word grieve. When you look at the word grieve. It's the word loopy or loopty. And it denotes pain or grief. That can only be experienced between two people. Who deeply love each other. This word is used as a picture of a husband or wife. Who has discovered his or her mate has been unfaithful. As a result of this unfaithfulness. The betrayed spouse is shocked, devastated, hurt, 
wounded and grieved because of the pain that has accompanied this unfaithfulness. Come on, when we grieve the Spirit, it's like you're cheating. And the the Holy Spirit is not ready to pound you. The Holy Spirit is grieved. He's sad. Come on, man. When you think of it that way, it's like, oh, come see. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, you know, you just want to, oh, God. So it brings a whole different view. (laughs) Shashak. That's what you, I'm telling you, that's what it does to me. It just makes me want to just grovel and be like, sit down, let's talk, Holy Spirit. I'm so sorry. It's totally my fault. Come on, if we have that humility, that humbleness. Man, you know how quick you'll want to get back on track? And you know what that will help you in your marriage? You know, race to the bottom. Now, as Pastor Brandon said last week also, that bitterness. When you read in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among you. Now, if you look at this very verse, it starts off with bitterness. Bitterness is one of the key things that make the Holy Spirit stop activating the gifts in your life. Now, you know, when you're in bitterness or you're in unforgiveness or something like that, your wick is real short on your candle. It doesn't take much to set you off. Some people don't have a lot of wick. But a lot of that is because they're bitter and mad and angry and frustrated. And so the littlest thing comes and they pop off. Come on, the Holy Spirit wants to lengthen that wick. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. Come on, the Holy Spirit is what is needed in your life, in my life, in this church, in all churches, in America. The dove needs to come. Come on, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the reason he's considered as a dove is because he's gentle. He's gentle. When you look at the dove in nature, if a young dove is attacked and another dove sees that, he begins to coo and holler and scream. He doesn't come and fight. In Romans 8, 26 and 28, it says, you know, when we're feeling burdened and attacked, the Holy Spirit groans come on cries out to the Lord when you when you worship God when you speak in tongues when you pray to the Lord groanings that are too deep for words that's what the Holy Spirit does on your behalf when you're sitting there broken and destroyed and you begin to pray in tongues the Holy Spirit comes on the side of you and holds you and begins to to pray to the Lord through you And Leonard Ravenhill, he talked about a Middle Eastern dove. He said on one hand, on one wing is nine feathers on a a group of feathers. And there's nine on the other one. And there's five in the back. I thought that was so interesting because there's nine gifts of the spirit, nine fruits of the spirit. And there's five. uh, There's five offices of the Holy Spirit, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher and pastor. So the Holy Spirit is is showing us that you have nine gifts, nine fruits, and and five offices. Man, when I saw that, I was like, God knows what he's doing. (laughs) 
I mean, God is all powerful. I mean, I don't have to worry about how he's going to work out a circumstance in my life. I mean, he's creating animals and saying, hey, this is a picture of what I'm doing. Now, one more thing. In Matthew 21, verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Now, when he turned over those tables, don't you think the doves took off out of those cages? It's time for the church to release the doves. Come on, it's time for you and me to release the dove in our own life. If bitterness and anger and constant bickering with spouse, with family, that is putting the dove, that's putting the Holy Spirit in a cage. Come on, you be the first one to say, I'm sorry, I'm a knucklehead. I'm an idiot. I'm letting all this go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is all powerful and I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to cheat on him. Come on, that's how we should be. If you notice what happened after that happened in Matthew 21, verse 14, and the blind came to him in the temple and he healed them. Could you imagine as those doves were flying around? Here comes a blind man to Jesus and he heals him. And heals the blind. And then I want to close in this. I know I said I would close. (laughs) This is closing. Neglect. 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift you have. Which was given to you. By prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you. Listen. When I went to Israel. I went upstairs in this messianic Jewish church. To be honest with you. I thought it was a cult. (laughs) I'm like, we upstairs and it's real small and everybody's playing tambourines. (laughs) That might not freak y'all out, but, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was, you know, (laughs) I was taught against tongues and all these things. And so I went, you know, all all my friends that were there were like charismatic and they were like, man, come on, believe God, believe God. So I was like, all right, I'll go up. So I got up there and this little messianic Jewish man with a yarmulke, he laid his hand on me. And I don't remember nothing else. I remember laying on the ground, praying in tongues. And my friends were like, what? Man, he's baptizing the Holy Spirit. And when I, was, when I came to, I had this language. And I was like, this is what everybody's been talking about. I went back, told my pastor at the time. He said, that was not real. He said, if anybody would have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it would be him. He said, because I prayed for that gift for so long and it never happened. It discouraged me. I was frustrated. I thought that I had received something wrong. I neglected it. I never prayed in tongues again at that time. Then one day I'm driving and then I'm listening to the radio and the man begins to preach. And he says, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, God, that's what I want. And I remember in my in the company vehicle, I was praying and the power of God came in and hit me and I began to speak in other tongues again and I said you know what I'm out of here Jack but neglect is what caused me to stop maybe you've been discouraged because of some verses that you didn't understand listen the gifts of the spirit are here for you the bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29 the gifts and callings are of God are irrevocable come on you might be in neglect 
In 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I want to encourage you tonight. Stir up the gift that God has given you. Come on, stir it up. Don't neglect it. The church needs you to operate in gifts. The kingdom of God needs you to operate in gifts. You will see why they're so important as we continue going on through this series. Gifts are supernatural. It separates us from a country club. It separates us from other religions. You're, we could sit over here and go overseas and preach the, the, the gospel to them. And then Islam can go over there and preach the Quran to them. But what sets us apart is, number one, love that motivates the gifts. And number two, the power of God moving, confirming with signs and wonders. Come on, I still believe that God can do what he did at Azusa Street, what he did in the New Testament in the book of Acts. The best is yet to come. Come on, God has saved the best for last. Get yourselves ready. Get your heart ready. Get your spirit ready to move and operate in the gifts of the spirit. They're free. God wants you to have them. Come on, we just talked about three tonight. We still have six more to go. Now, can we stand? Father, we thank you right now. Is there anybody here that does not know Jesus as Lord? Come on, you might be like, gifts? I don't even know anything about salvation. You might be outside of the covenant. Come on, God wants you to come in. Is there anybody here? I want to see you by lifting your hand. If you do not know Jesus Christ tonight, the first step is to, is to be saved. The second step is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That activates the gifts of the Spirit in your life. And tonight we'll pray for you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But I want to end it with this. Are you grieving the Spirit in your life with bitterness, with anger, animosity? Come on, don't let the Spirit leave. Don't let the Spirit not be able to operate in your life. The Spirit wants to operate in you, to help people around you, to help you. Come on, that's the greatest thing. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the power of God. Father, we thank you tonight. Father, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your gentleness. God, we thank you for your might. Father, I ask right now that you would release gifts in your precious, precious children, Lord. Father, that would, they would not be scared, but Father, that they would embrace the spirit that is like a dove, God. Father, I ask that you would be with them, God, as they go. Father, that you would give them their purpose, that you would make it known to them, God. Father, that you would baptize. Come on, I'm praying for people to be filled even now. Jesus is the baptizer. Father, we ask that you would fill your people, God, with your power and with your might, God. I ask that you would baptize these here, God, that are hungry and thirsting for your righteousness, God. Father, fill them in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time of fellowship in your word and worship. God, we thank you for your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask. And everyone said amen and amen. Praise God. Y'all have a good night.